0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Marie. And Marie was in a toxic relationship with a deceptive, covert narcissist. It's a story of being seen, self-serving motivations, lies, and confusing clarifications. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone with me today. I have Marie. How are you
1: i'm doing well thank you brandon. thank you for uh, for inviting me to join you today on your show.
0: Well, thank you for being our guest today, and I forgot to say that I am Brandon Chadwick. And if you want to be a guest on our show, just like Marie is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. You go to that Guest Form page, you read all our instructions, and either send me an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com, or you can just fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button like Marie did today. And today we're going to hear Marie's story, and Marie had a few relationships that were uh unhealthy they were toxic they were abusive and one was even physically abusive before this last one that we're going to be talking about but this one was the most insidious and it sent um you you spiraling uh backward and, and down a hole and it's uh, one that a lot of people don't understand when it's uh, purely emotional abuse and how you're treated, how it can be different from the physical abuse. So I really just want to thank you for being here with us today, and you're going to be sharing your story and your heartache and your pain, and it's not an easy thing to do. So thank you so much for being here. And uh, also before we begin, I just want to remind everyone uh, in this episode, at the end of this episode we actually have a little add-on with a former guest and that former guest is uh, Penelope aka uh, Elizabeth Bailey who will be doing uh, another podcast with me soon and uh, it's an update on her uh, situation in her life and we talk about What is winning? It's a really interesting small uh, tidbit that I think everyone should listen to. So, after this episode is over uh, and you go past the credits, there will be a little bit more for you to listen to today. So, please listen to that. And now, without further ado, Marie, the floor is now yours. Thank you,
1: Brandon. you know, it's, it's been a, you know, life's a journey, life's an interesting journey and I've been really fortunate and blessed in my life. And I, um, I'm at another place in healing. You know, I feel like as human beings we're all in this pain body and pain can be emotional or physical, but sometimes the physical pain can be at times worse because it can cause physical issues. Um, And I, you know, I got married, you know, I I was, you know, raised Catholic. I was, you know, this good kid in a group in a a beautiful, affluent Midwestern suburb. You know, my folks worked very hard, um, in jobs they didn't necessarily love, uh, but they worked hard and they still had a good life together, um, in, in their imperfectness, um, as we're all imperfect beings, um. And my folks were married for 45 years. I I watched them, you know, sometimes argue, but they were generally best friends. And, you know, I noticed as I got older, my dad drank more than he should have, but you wouldn't have known it except whatever the the term is, is functional alcoholic. And he kind of checked out on certain levels um, from whatever his stresses were. And, you know, his relationship could have been that. Uh, My mom is... This wonderful, kind, loving person, one minute and the next minute, she's snap to being mean or pointing her finger or critical or verbally. Uh, I mean, I would say that there was a, she's emotionally abusive at times, but I don't think she realizes it. And I feel at this point in my life, my mom disassociates from her own trauma. So you got two parents come together, right, and they have kids, and I was the oldest of three. And my dad, you know, was the old, he was 13 when his father died of a heart attack, and he was the oldest of seven. And everyone was saying to my dad in 1956, Midwest, you know, you're the man of the house. And so he had a lot of pressure on him from a young age to step into shoes that were no longer physically on the planet. And yet he was a really good person and worked hard and helped his mom and helped his siblings and got married way too young <laughs> to my mom who was also the oldest of seven children, whose father, parents worked very hard and raised seven kids. But my mother, what we didn't know, or I didn't know until I was older, was my mom said she was sexually abused by her grandfather, both she and one of her sisters. And the rest of the family has denied that that ever happened, and a lot of them don't even talk to each other right now. But I have two siblings also, so I'm the oldest of three, and uh, sister's two years younger, brother's three years younger, or five years younger and my siblings you know, they've each been married almost 20 years to their spouses and they they seem like very they made very good choices and have great compatibility and and not that any relationship is easy but if you choose someone that is relatively healthy that it makes and you're relatively healthy i would say that that makes relationships flow easier especially if you choose to get married to someone so my personal journey of dating was I was pretty naive and innocent when I did get married at 21 and I was pretty naive and innocent getting married at 21 and, and kind of that Cinderella story in my mind of how relationships look. And so um, within a year I was a mom, a little, a little over a year I was a young mom and I married someone 11 years older. I barely knew him when I married him. I barely knew myself. And while he seemed charming and outgoing at the beginning, I was realizing it was his way or the highway very quickly into the relationship. And I didn't understand the dynamics of that. I didn't understand what, now that I know some of the language of cluster B personalities and what overt narcissists or misogynists are, now I understand after that marriage ended, when I ended it 14 years later, what kind of relationship I was in. And I I won't. Focus too much on it, but it kind of set some groundwork for other relationships that I've chosen in my most significant relationships. And I also feel that sometimes we pick up when we get married or we are in a relationship, we choose something from our parents that was modeled to us or an energy that we felt or saw in that dynamic. And I definitely did that in choosing my husband. I I married my mother, which is really weird. And I I, would, I wouldn't say my mom's a narcissist. I would say that she disassociates from her own trauma, but that trauma that she projected onto our, her children, especially me as the oldest and probably the closest to her of the three of birth of my, you know, my mom's three children. Um, I carried that into that marriage. I chose someone that was familiar and he was controlling and he was, if he was manipulative, I didn't know it. Um, he was so overt in his behavior and, and obsessive and, you know, and lied about certain things about his family's mental health that I didn't know until after we were married. And we had three kids all four years apart. I wasn't allowed to be on our checking accounts. I wasn't allowed to have a credit card in my own name. And I'm saying aloud, I wasn't allowed to have a, (laughs) to have a, a, an email account until I was 35 years old when I went to the library to go open an email account. And I didn't realize I was in an abusive relationship. I knew I was miserable. And what I was doing when um, I, he, my ex-husband would literally give me a weekly envelope with two red tea bars on them with cash, $125 a week for a family of five for food and $100 a week for, for me, for whatever I wanted to do in my life, whether it be clothing or shopping or makeup or uh, books or you know, travel or visiting people, it had to come out of that $400 a month was my stipend is what he called it. And I didn't, I didn't know I was actually being financially abused at that time. And, and so the, the inner child or the young part of me in my 20s started taking out credit cards behind his back. And I was out of integrity with myself in doing so, but I was buying things for the family. And then he'd find out that I had these cards and he had a fit. And then he was like, you're, you're, you need to be in, oh, I don't know, some kind of group for people that are, you know, that are spendaholics. And I, the funny thing was, is I wasn't a spendaholic. I didn't realize I was being financially abused. And so I started taking on all the stuff that he was putting on to me in that marriage. I mean, and he traveled. He was never there. He was never a co-parent. He was never a parent. And I was left alone in that marriage from the very beginning of being a mom. I was his cook. I was his maid. I was his sex for when he wanted it. I remember walking one time two years into the marriage, and we were walking in this little town in New York, a suburb of New York, in this beautiful suburb we lived in. And I was like, I'm like, can't we just walk this way? And he was like, No, we're going this way. That's the way we go. I said Like it's why, why is it always your way or the highway? And that's the personality of an overt narcissist just in in the beginning stages, but it got worse and worse. And, and I didn't realize what projection was. I didn't realize he was projecting things onto me. I was taking all of the abuse onto myself, thinking it was my fault. I was doing something wrong. What was I doing wrong? I was always looking at me first as to how I could make things better. I don't feel like I need to be acknowledged, but appreciation is nice. It's an important thing to appreciate your partner. And I, was, I never felt that. Even later in the marriage when he said to his cousins visiting from England, um, I was serving dinner, this huge dinner, um, on this platter we had brought back from Ireland that was in, the family, in his family for years, and I cleaned it off in a creek. It's this whole crazy story, but I won't digress there. But I served the, me- the, the meal on this platter, and he made a joke to the whole family, yeah, someday my second wife will serve dinner on that platter. Or he called me his child bride. Or he called me his chattel, which is an old English term for property. Chattel is, you know, it's ancient, that term. And he called me that in front of people thinking it was funny. And I mean, at times I thought it was was just the 11-year age difference. And as I got older, I realized this is not healthy. And as I got even older into my 30s and, and seeing a therapist, and then we moved to the Southwest, I realized, I I think I was listening to something on NPR one day after I dropped my kids off at school. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to get out of this relationship. And after, you know, we were in counseling on and off for years. We were in, you know, but until I actually switched therapists and went to someone new did I have the strength to end that relationship, I was terrified because I stayed home to raise my kids. I had no, no dime, two dimes to rub together because he wouldn't let me work and he wouldn't allow me to have access to our funds. So it was a very bizarre relationship. And when I ended it, I thought, I, you know, I was even the way that I, I filed for divorce and told him that at home one evening, that I was serving him with divorce papers at home. I didn't want to embarrass him. I wanted to just move on after a 14 year marriage. And this was 2004. And I thought, and, and, and that and he was served. And um, around that time, my dad came to visit and I went to go ask my ex-husband something and he literally started that's when he started to shove and to push and my best friend from high school came to visit with her kids and he had me in the garage one night and he like literally left marks on my arms from squeezing me so hard and shoving me so it started to get physical and so I was finally like you've got to move out like this is not good and I had the police at one point when my dad visited the police came Um, and my dad even said something to me he's like you know you need to stop. Like you need to think about your kids and get this together and and do the right thing by your wife and your children and move on. Um, and again, I, I knew you know it was interesting when he did move out. And I said to my attorney, "What happens if he cuts me off financially?" Because I wasn't working outside the home. And my lawyer at the time said, "You'll be before the judge immediately." Well, I didn't have temporary orders for a year, um, and. My ex moved back, and as soon as he did, he cut me off financially. I didn't realize I was even driving around our car, my car. We had two cars, my car, with the kids without car insurance for several months. I didn't, he did pay the car payment, and he did pay the mortgage because um, his name was on both. So the divorce was a nightmare. My parents were actually worried he was going to physically hurt me, like kill me, hurt me. I didn't so much feel that until like some of the emails I was receiving that I, I received emails and I was careful about how I responded because I didn't want to engage with him. I just wanted him to do the right thing by the kids, take care of the finances. And I mean, the divorce took two years. I had to get a new lawyer because my lawyer wound up being a shyster. And my best friend since I was six is a, one of the top criminal attorneys in the United States and litigators in the United States. And she's like, we're finding you a new attorney. And she wired five grand to find me a new attorney who said, we're going to settle this case. We know he's got money hidden. We know he's done this and that. It doesn't matter. Let's just get this done so you can move on with your life. And um, we settled the case when we were signing the papers. And I, you know, I had a little, I didn't get a ton of money, you know, certainly in support nor did I in, you know, equity and whatever he had hidden I didn't receive, but my lawyer said to me, I have worked in 25 years in family law. And he goes, how did you meet this guy? He said, in all the, all, in all the different ex-spouses I've, repre- or spouses I've represented, your, your ex-spouse is in the top three craziest clients, spouses I've ever had to deal with. Because he wouldn't leave my attorney alone. And it was, it was, insa- it was insanity. So I thought, thank God. You know, even though he was, he, it was some ways it was better he moved out of state, so I wouldn't have to deal with him, but it actually got worse and worse to the point where he was taking me to court, getting child support reduced, doing this, saying, oh, I've got to have hip replacement. Oh, I'm I'm unemployed and impoverished and, and can't pay this and that. And, you know, and I got a job right away. I was working. I was building a career. And, of course, he made fun of that. And. Just, it was constant put-downs, constant denigration, and it was like that the entire relationship, but in different ways. Um, He wanted me literally homeless, destitute, and wanted to take the kids eventually, which is what he did. I never was homeless. At points, I was very financially challenged, and that's still continued to a certain degree on a tax level for me, because I'm still dealing 18 years post-divorce with the fallout from that divorce. Because of his anger, and I never cheated. I never. I, I was a loving, supportive, kind wife. I know who I am as an individual. Um, and my youngest daughter, she said to her dad a few months ago. Um, she shared this with me. And again, I'm I'm just to hold space for the kids if they need to share what's going on about their dad. But she said she might. She's really pretty upset. She said we had a big argument. And I screamed at dad and said, dad, you're the biggest narcissist I've ever met. And no, man, no matter, no wonder, nobody wants to spend time around you or be with you because, she, you know, she sees that. And um, so that's kind of, you know, that'll always be part of my world because my children are my children that I had with him. But the good thing is, is I'm not married to him anymore. And at least the ch- our children are adults. Um, and I, I don't want to ever say that I feel validated that they see um, that they see who he is in the sense of his disorder or his mental health issues. But they have a better understanding because he said so many horrible things to them about me. And you can't take love away when there's love there. The kids really, you know, but my kids are grounded, healthy and empathetic, loving people and are in therapy. And, and I said to the kids too, that, that the sooner you can get into counseling with someone who's really a good therapist, which of course we have to be careful there too. But um but that the healthier your relationships will be as you get older. So that was really my, you know, Brandon, my my first narcissistic relationship, and I probably have left out a whole lot, but
0: so you were in a long-term relationship with your husband, abusive relationship. So much went on, and you At this point of your life, this is kind of all you knew. So how is your self-esteem and how are you thinking of relationships after this, you know, this failed relationship in one way, if you looked at it in, in that way? And how did you look at yourself as far as the abuse and... Uh, the type of person you were with and what you were looking for next?
1: Thank you. Those are great questions. Um, I think when I came out of the marriage, I was so done. Um, I mean, I definitely, between my, I was 36 when I ended the marriage. And from the time that I ended it, I definitely dated different people. I was online dating. I think Match was new. Some of the different websites were out there that were new. And I was meeting people just in building my career at that time. And um, and I was hopeful, like hopeful that I'd meet someone someday that I could have this, not Cinderella story, but, you know, grow old with, grow young with, have a life, build a life with, partner with. I, I wanted a partnership because I definitely did not have that in that relationship ever. Um, as a co-parent, as an intimate partner, nothing even remotely was a partnership. So... The only thing was, is I was, you know, at that time I was 36 and, um, I was for some reason attracting and, you know, guys that were like eight to 10 years younger. And it wasn't like I was looking for younger guys. It was just what I would, you know, and I was meeting people and I don't know, I want to say having fun, um, having breathing, but I was also raising three kids myself and building a career. So I didn't have a ton of time to focus on finding the one or having the one find me or Any of that. And um, there was someone I did meet that I really fell for. And, you know, he, you know, it was just, I I still adore him. It just was timing. But um, when everything happened with my ex taking the children, and I was not in a good space. And then my dad died. And then I finalized the custody agreement at the end of 2011 where the children would live with him and we'd still have joint custody. And I, even in that space knew that wasn't realistic, but I was pretty kind of devastated. And I don't know, it would have been like sometime in the spring of 2012, summer of 2012 ish. I got on a few online sites. Um, even though I met people all the time, I, I got on a couple of online dating sites and met someone for happy hour and started kind of seeing him, but you know, not, I wasn't, wasn't sure. I was being very careful. So I thought, (laughs) and, uh, and he kept trying to get me to sleep with him and I wasn't even, I wouldn't even go to his house. And, and we, we spent time together for, I want to say a good three, four months, maybe into the fifth month before I was intimate with him. Um, and, then I caught him in a few lies, and it was almost like, I didn't I want to say I was playing psychologist, but it was like, I kind of, I remember having, a, there were red flags, let's put it that way, and I, um, I remember asking him why he lies, like, I'm like, like, almost like a, like a therapist or a mother would ask a child, why are you lying to me? I was like, this is like the person I'm seeing. But funny, funny, ironically, my he was initially a mime, my sister, when she met him, said, or heard he would have been a mom. She's like, I don't, I don't trust him already. And my sister's worked with men for 22 years. And so she has a really good, like, take on certain things that, as she's always said to me, you're very trusting and open, Marie, and you really, truly put your heart into everything. And that's the way that I do and have been or had been. Um, so anyway, I go off. This guy was like, kind of had it with me. He wanted to take a break. I had had it with life at that moment because of all the devastation. And I didn't even realize how devastated I was with the loss of, I didn't lose my kids, but, you know, but this transition in my life where all of a sudden my children weren't living with me legally. And so off I went with this guy to the Midwest for a one month visit for his dad's 75th birthday. And that one month turned into three and a half years for me where I wound up, you know, I lived with this gentleman for, for a year and a half, but I wound up like about, I don't want to say the last four to six months of that relationship where he started to like, I could, I was kind of catching him in lies. I was starting to not feel intuitively that I could trust him. Even to the point where one time he came home, I went to kiss him. Hello at the end of my work day and I could smell another woman on his beard. So imagine that like literally, I don't mean her perfume. And it was devastating. And I knew he was cheating, but I wasn't going to sit here and accuse him of cheating because I think that's what he wanted. And he started screaming and saying, you're triggering me, Marie. And I'm like, how am I triggering you? And I wanted to go to counseling. I wanted him to go to counseling. Um, I was doing a ton of healing work, spiritual work, meditation. So it was, you know it got to a point where there were some things going on. He finally agreed to do like the mankind project or something that his father had recommended for him. Cause he's, he wouldn't as a, whatever age he was at the time, go to counseling period. And there was no way he, we could go to couples counseling if he didn't go to individual counseling and we weren't married. So I just finally, he did something pretty wacky before he left for that man's man weekend. And I just said, enough, I moved. I, he, he barely had any belongings, because he'd been a mine, you know, and in the circus. And anyway, so I, anyway, and when we lived together, he wouldn't even, like, let me get us a dresser for him, for his stuff, which is a sign right there. So I just moved everything into the garage. I changed the locks. And when he got home, I just said, he already knew. And I said, you know, I'd like it if you go live with your dad. And we saw each other maybe once a week just we'd have a conversation. He'd come over and, but he was doing wacko things like putting stuff in my car and kind of stalking me. And it just like, it didn't end well. And I just ended it after that. I did shadow work and it was a very interesting opportunity for a different type of growth other than meditation where you go inward. This was inward in a different way because it was actually using your, I used my, they they dive into your uh, using colors. Um, uh, they actually, uh, the therapist or the shadow worker person asked questions based on your your childhood wounding and why you're choosing the people you're choosing Marie into your life. Because that was the whole purpose. I went to go see her and she's like, the purpose of this is for what? And I said, I, I need to understand why I keep choosing this type of person in my most, most intimate relationships. And so using colors, she'd ask questions and I would answer the questions as she laid out, as I picked colors with the questions, the coordinated the colors. I'm not, I'm probably not explaining this well, but basically I had my ex-husband, my ex-boyfriend and my mother all on the same chair covered in black. She asked me another question having to do with my father and he was laid out in like, like a regal purple because he was very kind and loving despite his own stuff, but he was really a great dad. And then at the end, it was like, this color I put down was a royal blue. And she said to me, you know, Marie, she said, um, it didn't take you 14 years to leave this person. You recognized it, maybe not at the beginning because you were ignoring signs, but you at least didn't let it keep eking out. And and it was abusive. Um, and and I, I don't know that I call him narcissistic or anything, except it was very. To- it became very toxic, and I ended it. Um, and then I, you know, after that, there was one other hopeful person that I grew up with that I ran into, and. But that very quickly showed me to not be the right person. And, and then there was the latest one.
0: So before we get to who the story is about, within the shadow work and your therapy, what were the things that you really learned about yourself from it? And what you felt you deserved in a relationship next. And I guess uh, to add one more thing, were you, as far as thinking of red flags or things that you are really not looking for or you want to stay away from, is that in your thought process or are you coming into this like open hearted and unafraid
1: kind of a combination thereof, because there's my intrinsic nature, which is open-hearted and unafraid, and believes in love, believes that it's there. Um, I mean, I've made lists in the past, and, you know, what I, what I want in a relationship, and also, you know, what I don't want. Um, and the shadow work, you know, was helpful. I didn't date for a while. I ran into the, the lady that did the work with me. I want to say a year, year and a half after I, I did the work, and she's like, are you dating anybody? I'm like, absolutely not. She's like, good for you. And, um, and, you know, I learned a lot. I think what I learned, too, is I was choosing, I was used to a certain pattern in my family relations with my mom, this push-pull, this, I, like, loving, there for you unconditionally, but then there was, was it really unconditionally because it was this, you know, all of a sudden it's, you're, it's critical. It's like, oh, you shouldn't be dressing like that. Like, what? Like, I, you know, I have breast mom. Sorry, I'm not showing my boobs. But, you know, certain weird things that my mother would say that were from her own trauma of sexual abuse. And I didn't realize that, you know, I was beginning to learn more about it as she shared more about her things. And it made sense. Um, so I, I learned about some of those things because my mom's a wonderful person, but she doesn't even have a connection to the fact that these, that she, she has an opportunity to heal herself or work on that while she's on the planet, but she's not choosing that. So I just established healthier boundaries in my life, in every relationship, especially with my mom. Um, whereas if she says something to me that I feel is inappropriate or, and not even like where it's a criticism of me, where it's just something inappropriate, I'll just be like, mom, you know, I mean, my, my therapist currently has even suggested with her not to say things on an audio level, but if my mother gets kind of weird, I just put my hand on her. So sh- it shifts the energy. It shifts what she's thinking or saying. Um, so you know, it ties into some of the things I learned in shadow work and the things that I learned from those two relationships were things that I don't want. And I also, what I won't tolerate, and I'm not going to tolerate abuse or emotional abuse or screaming or lying or cheating or any of those things who deserve, no one deserves that. And, and I, and I've been very clear in any relationship I've been in that I want a monogamous loving partnership. Um, and I feel like what's interesting with that last the, the, the middle relationship let's put it that way like the second one I've described here is I was much had much more clarity in communicating what was important to me to that person I was with and what was triggering him was it was showing him his shadow and I said that it's not even been in intimate relationships I I feel like for some there's something about my my authenticity like I one of the things I say too is what is authenticity authenticity you can't have authenticity if you don't have transparency and integrity. And I am very transparent. I feel like I have integrity. It's not 100% perfect because I'm a human being. Uh, but, I mean, on an integrity level, I work that way. If something is um, not, doesn't have clarity, I like to have clarity around it. I ask questions, and I feel like when when someone asks questions and communicates, and the other person's not able to, willing, or is disordered, they can't receive it. They're not hearing it. Their perception and perspective is different based on their own disorder, that makes sense. Um, so I learned a lot from both of those relationships. And I certainly learned what I, what I deserve because I feel I, I, I not even feel I know what I put into a relationship. I know the, the heart that I bring to the table. I know the the love that I am capable of giving my children have received it and they know that. And, and obviously in an intimate relationship, it's a little different, but, um, you know, my son's funny. He's like 26 now. He's like, yeah, you're just my hippie gypsy mama, Jama. And you just walk around with this huge heart and and it's like a mystical poem. You know, my, my dog kind of mirrors that too, but, but, you know, leading into this, this latest relationship has been a whole different journey.
0: So tell us about how you two met.
1: So we met on Tinder and I'd never been on Tinder because I had this perception of Tinder as being like just for sex. Well, aren't, aren't they all just for that? People want that. But a lot of people do meet, fall in love and get married and live to, you know, have a life together or live together. But it was pandemic and I was back in the Midwest. I'd gotten a place back in the Midwest to be near closer to my, my mother with some health issues she was having. And I still had a place on the left, the West Coast at that point. And and it was, you know, we were shut down, right? And and I was seeing my mom, but I wasn't even seeing my siblings because no one knew what pandemic was or what was going on. And I got on and I met someone, he super swiped me in in August of twenty twenty. And I noticed they, they had a a sports team t-shirt from the 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 football team that I grew up and still, you know watching and still watching at this point in my life, and two photos, and he looked sweet, and I liked what he wrote, and so I I swiped back, and then we started texting, and I said, or messaging in the app, and I just said, I'm exhausted from my work day and work month, basically, could we, if you want, I'm open to a conversation. So we hopped on the phone on a Friday night and talked for two hours and discovered that you know, within the next conversations, not only did he go, go to high school a, m- a mile and a half away from where I did, in, but he went to high school with my brother-in-law. And he knew my best guy friend that I went to college with because their families had neighboring vacation up north rental houses when they were kids. And so it seemed like, wow, this is really interesting and kind of like a sign. <laughs> so so I thought. So he he started calling me like very at very much the same time every night to talk for six weeks, we talked and he asked me if he could come out and visit. He told me he'd been married and divorced twice and he had a daughter with his first wife, daughter with his second wife. And he told me all sorts of things. Um, I agreed, you know, for him to come visit. He I said, you know, was, we should get a hotel and he did. And when he got to my place, He, he, you know, he messaged and said, I'm here. Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to get a drink? And I said, why don't we go for a walk on the lake? And so somehow security led him up into my building, which I was a little surprised by. But as soon as I saw him, like we hugged and I just felt like, I felt safe at the beginning, you know, like because of the mutual connections. And we went for a walk on the lake and then like within the first 45 minutes we were making out and we went to dinner and like we were making out on a pier like kids, like necking or whatever they used to call it. And we went to dinner, and we just had a really fun weekend together. Um, he checked out of the hotel Sunday and asked if he could stay with me until Wednesday. And he also went to surprise his mom and his sister. And he, before he did that, he shared that his sister was anorexic, and there was trauma with his sister since for the last 30 years since their father died. And I'm like, well, that's horrible. He was the oldest of uh, three adopted kids and then one biological kid. And, and the parents, you know, they, they were comfortable and, you know, I didn't know much more because I didn't take my time to get to know this guy. But what I did know quickly was in the first two weeks, he said to me, well, when he left, when he left to go back to the West coast, we both cried because we were like thinking, Oh my God, this is so like, this is the one, this is like, Synchronistic. There's so much magic. He kept saying how magical it was. And, and even at the beginning saying no one, he sat across from me at my table when I made us dinner one night. He said, I see who you are, Marie. I, you're so unique. I see you. And I got started to cry. Like I truly felt he saw me. It was just like this, I don't know what it was. It was love bombing 101, but I didn't see that. And then he came back every Tuesday to Friday for a month and he started saying within the second week, you know I love you, don't you? Um uh, no one's under, ever understood me the way that you have. None of my no one's ever understood me. Um it, it, the list kept kind of starting to go on and on around those pieces. And I remember thinking to myself, is he love bombing me? And I'm like, oh no. I'm like, this is probably because he's already like, this is the one. We're gonna grow old together. Um, I'm like, oh no, this is this is this is finally it. Here he is. And Within, um, I don't know, the first six weeks, he flew me out to the West Coast to stay for two weeks. And I met his teenage daughter. We spent time with her for a weekend. She was with her mom the following weekend. And then I flew back, and he said he wanted to move in together. And I was like, whoa, how do we do that? He's like, we'll have to get, you know, my daughter, he said, to, uh, you know, we'll have to get a two-bedroom. So we had started talking about doing that. And... And then he flew me back out there within a few more weeks. We found a place to rent. We started signing leases. We actually signed the lease four times, which probably was a sign there. But in the, in the space of all that, I started to notice some shifts. And they were so subtle, Brandon. I can't even, it's like even hard to articulate how subtle they were. But, but there was so, like, I was intuiting there was like secrecy or something going on behind the scenes. And I couldn't put my finger on it. I mean, even in between my trips back there where I had stuff, he then hid my stuff or put it away. And he told me he hadn't been in a relationship or been intimate with anybody since his divorce in summer of 2019 when he left his last wife. And he also then told me he had a third wife that he neglected to tell me about at the beginning.
0: So at this point before you officially move in, You know what's gone on here has been initially he was vouched for, which for you is at least a door opening uh, Mm -hmm. into a relationship. Things are moving super fast, and as far as the long distance goes, it plays a lot, probably in here in the fact that he's able to kind of live his own life. While still dating you and Mm -hmm. being able to do things behind the scenes and you're still communicating, but you're not able to see a full picture due to the long distance on really what goes on in their life when you're not around. And it gives this person an opportunity to really do anything, which I assume later becomes hard to hide. Mm-hmm. And then you're feeling seen and you're feeling seen in a way that you never have probably in your whole entire life. And that feeling right there with everything else kind of going on, it's this mixture where you're really hooked and now you're looking for uh, a place to live. And now you're going to find it. Well, these red flags are happening, but now because of the love bombing that has occurred yeah. uh you know those things you're noticing them but the feeling is superseding your gut feeling does that make does that make it does sense?
1: and yeah and i mean yeah because even though let's see like from the time we deleted our dating profiles at his you know insistence in a fun loving way and that you're amazing this that that um sex is sacred to me too baby was one of the things he said you know it was like i call it at this point i call the manipulation ship the love bombing
0: yeah and the intensity of everything that is happening the way mm-hmm. you describe it it's just intense from making out the first you're doing things that you might not have ever done and this intensity has taken over
1: right and um and it moves so quickly very quickly obviously um
0: so eventually you move in with them.
1: I did. I moved in with them very quickly within the first three months. And, uh, and we agreed also, cause I, about having a, a second car, my car out there. And at first he was kind of like, Oh, we don't need your car. We can share a car. And I'm thinking I'm so independent. I'm like, absolutely not. So I, so I was trying to figure out how I would do that. And so for we signed the lease four times in December then it was settled, but then he was not calling me like he normally does. All of a sudden the patterns were shifting a little bit. and I was in my head going, oh, maybe he's just nervous about this now. Cause you know, I am his first relationship he's had since he left his last wife and so on and so forth. And then, um, which wasn't true of course, but, um, so he came out, I, I was waiting for waiting for him to come for his birthday and for Christmas, we were going to celebrate with our families. And when he got out there, we celebrated his birthday, but I was feeling intuitively something. I was like, is everything okay? Like, are you okay with the, all all this moving the way it has been and, and the lease and everything? And he, he's like, we talk? We sit down. He's holding my hand. He's like, maybe we should slow things down. And I looked at him. I'm like, what do you mean? He, I said, we just, we just signed this lease four times, which is fine, but you know, you said this, this, and this. So where are you at? You know, and he's like, well, there's this high-pitched frequency I keep hearing the last couple nights and sleeping together. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was like, listen, I got to go out for a little bit and run some errands. And I will be back in a little while and we can talk further. But I I was in tears too. I was like, I need to sort my head around this. I said, because I'm not doing a long-distance relationship, period. And and, and he had said to me up front, "We this will work. We'll, we'll make it work one way or the other. Um. And I believed him. And so I went and I called like my closest girlfriend and I was in tears with her. And I think she even advised me at the time. She's like, run girl, run the other way, (laughs) you know? And, and, uh, and when I got back home, he said, I'm so sorry. This is just me. I, I I still want to move in together. Like the funniest thing is now I look back, not funny, but I look back now. And I remember I had this intuitive hit that he was just going to move in with me. And then somehow find a way to dump me this is a weird thing to share but I really was thinking for it flashed through my head somehow and I'm fairly intuitive and I don't know again why I didn't listen to it um so then we moved we agreed that we'd move in together on New Year's Eve and then I would fly back meet my youngest daughter because so I was flying her in and get my car and we my daughter and I were going to drive out together to the new place so that's what happened but in between that, um, there were funny things that I noticed. Like by the time my youngest and I got out to, to uh, the West Coast, my very last night before I was going to go into the house with her, we were somewhere in like Idaho or I don't know where we were. I spoke with him and I called him because he hadn't called me and I was getting ready to go to bed. And I said, so we'll be here, will be there at such and such time tomorrow night about... And he was acting on the phone with me as if, first of all, I had sensed there was someone there because of the way he was speaking with me. And he was like, yeah, I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to catch up. It was very odd. And when I got there um, the next night and sorted out, I noticed that there were two coffee cups and two small plates in the dishwasher. And my, my, my skin kind of froze. My, my blood just went blue or something. I was like, was someone here? And it wasn't his daughter. Cause she was not there, so there were some signs already. My daughter left, went back to the east coast where she lives, and for the next couple months, Brandon, I didn't realize I was being devalued. But we stopped having hot sex. We were barely having sex. He all of a sudden he was sleeping on the weekends till one and two in the afternoon, because obviously what I've learned now, and I was the I was the main supply in a narcissistic covert narcissistic relationship, and. When they get, they snare the main supply. When they've got you under their thumb and under their control, then they start to look for other people because they've got to have constant validation from numerous people. And with co- this covert, nar- this was so insidious because I never saw this. I mean, I don't want to say saw it coming, but I I saw some flags obviously, and wasn't paying attention to my own strong, powerful intuition. But it was so messed up and then there was a child in the mix there's a teenager in the mix um so you know we didn't have more showers we were barely having sex i was asking him communicating are you happy you know i love coming home to you babe um he would say to me uh, when he was at the office or when he wasn't because he wasn't always at the office and when we were home and his daughter was with us he kept us separated and i didn't realize i was being triangulated and that the whole word of flying monkeys and triangulation was actually happening because he was also being loving and telling me he loved me and showing me in other ways that he loved me. Um, I was getting a little concerned about his communication with his third wife, with his, 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 the child's mother. And he also, you know, he didn't tell me that his daughter had some some kind of serious challenges and and maybe she did or, she did or didn't to a certain degree, but I think that he was using his daughter as part of this triangulation. And we always got along. She was darling. I take her out like to the nail salon. I take her out here and there to Target, whatever. And what I did notice, he's other than taking his daughter out to dinner, he never did things with her. He could have. And then he I said, oh, "Well, go do this. So that he was kind of doing some things, but he also wasn't including me then in other things where it was like, I, I, was, I said to my, my dear friend and my therapist, I said, I feel like I'm a placeholder. Like, why am I even here? It's like I, I was in a marriage, you know, my only marriage, I was in a marriage where I was like alone in the, the marriage. And I realized that I felt alone in this relationship when I was living with someone like you'd live as husband and
2: wife. Um, and we finally got away for a weekend. Um,
1: his daughter was self-harming. Things started to happen. She never self-harmed with us, only at her mother's, but it was getting kind of complicated and they were getting like her to the right therapists. And I suggested, cause she's really artistic. Let's get her, um, an easel and a bunch of paint. And she was painting every weekend when she was with us. Um, He decided to go back to the office full time last June. He got another place from what I've discerned and found. um, He was hiding things. He was hiding. He had another life or two.
0: (laughs) So how did you find out that he had another place?
1: It was something that came up on the car. And I said something about that. I mean, there were even moments where he was making me doubt my reality. Like, and that happened at the beginning because on new year's, um, going back to new year's last year. I, um, we read about that. We didn't have any dish detergent for the dishwasher. And I was like, Oh shoot, we don't have any, we can get it tomorrow. He's like, he couldn't wait to like leave the house. I'll go get it. And it was new year's day. And I was like, all right. So two hours later he shows up and he shows up and he's like, I'm like, is everything okay? I was getting worried. And he said, oh, well, I went to and they didn't have any dish, dish soap. So I went to, like, yeah, I didn't say to him. I didn't accuse him of lying, but he lied. And then, he made, then when I found a receipt in the car, he's like, was making me doubt my own reality around what we discussed. Never did we have an argument. This is the more bizarre part too. In the whole almost little over a year and a half we were in a relationship and living together. We never had an argument. If I didn't understand something, I'd ask him a question for clarity. And I, even in, in things where he felt like he wasn't being understood, all of a sudden I'd say, well, I'm trying to understand, please help me understand. Never were voices raised until, until I left. Um, there was still not yelling. Um, but it was all, I felt like smoke and mirrors, all the secrecy going, going on behind the scene. And, and I'll tell you like, Brandon, it was interesting because I talked to my dear friend, um, almost every day or at least several times a week and was sharing things that were going on. And, and then the therapist slash, slash shaman that I sat with my partner, um, in December of 2020 sat with him and we wound up seeing him on a regular basis throughout the relationship, probably every six weeks. And at the end of the relationship, when I, when I went to leave, I I messaged my therapist and said, I'm headed back to the Midwest. And he said to me, um, I saw this coming," he said, in an email. And uh, if I was to diagnose your, you know, your former boyfriend with anything, it would be a major addictive disorder. And he recommended two narcissistic recovery groups for me to join. And this therapist has had forty years of family couples therapy. He's worked in psych wards. He's worked with kids that self harm. And he's a shaman. He's trained shamans all over the world. So he was a licensed professional for years and started a shamanic practice. So he sees things also. Um, it was, you know, I, I'm kind of going jumping around a little bit. It was, it was so mind trippy and insidious that I'm still like, I'm almost seven months out of this. And I'm, I still wake up at night in, 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 in disbelief of what went on and how I feel like so, like, my brain is traumatized. I was in brain fog for months. I still kick it. It kicks back in from time to time, too. It's like it goes right back to the trauma of the lies and the deceit and and cheating.
0: So at this point, it's hard to determine if the relationship is rocky in any way because there are no arguments. And when you are looking for clarifying statements from your partner, there's most likely always some sort of answer to have you at least satisfied or confused enough to think that you're satisfied with yeah. with what's going on. And you have this feeling that there's a double life kind of going on, that there's something really wrong. You just really can't put a finger on it at this point. And when you said a thing before about... Going to or, or needing something from the store, mm-hmm. and your partner just jumping to go and in, in do it. When you start looking at motives for doing things, do you start eventually? Putting two and two together saying, oh, that generous thing that's being done right there, there's a motive behind it. Everything that they're doing, do they have this motive behind it? It might seem like it is sacrificing Mm -hmm. and that they're doing something for me, but there's something always going on in the background where there's going to be a payoff for them or a motivation for them. You Mm -hmm. just can't see it. But do you eventually pick up on that and that there are these motives?
1: Yes and no. Like it was kind of because it was so insidious and confusing and the way that he looks like a shark. I think about it now. It was like a big predator, but I didn't realize he was a big predator. I thought he was just a sweet guy who kept saying how empathetic he is. He's like, I'm so like, so sensitive and all about himself. But he really, I remember even saying to my, my girlfriend at one point, I'm like, he says these things, but I'm picking up on that. He's incredibly selfish, that there's only a reason he's only empathetic or does certain things because it serves him. And I didn't quite understand it at the beginning, but as things were moving along, I did. He, there was like a couple weird things that even happened in the summer where, you know, like his, 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 Communication with his last wife was really insane. And I thought she was being manipulative. I thought it was stuff that he said about her family, that his, her mother was narcissistic and her this and her that. Now I look back, I'm like, he's the one that was manipulating the whole time. Um, but even like, I remember last summer, this is little on a sidebar, we were intimate one night and we're laying there after we're intimate, holding each other. And he picks up his phone and he's texting his ex-wife. And my whole body froze. I got out of the bed. I'm like, what are you doing? I didn't yell. I just started pacing around like the bedroom naked. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I have to like text. And I'm like, we just made love. Why are you texting her? And he was trying to get a reaction out of me. I didn't know it at the time that it was a narcissistic, that he was narcissistic. I didn't think that. I really didn't. It was so weird. I was just like, are you just like, I don't want to say you're as dumb as a box of rocks, but, but it was disrespectful and it was part of the devaluation. And he said, I'm so sorry. But then later on, this goes back to the, the motive.
0: And the motive right here had to do with an incident that occurred with his daughter.
1: He and his ex-wife gave her the car, her brand new car back, gave her all privileges back and let her stay out till one in the morning. And he was worried about her. And he couldn't sleep that night. And the next day he looked at me and said, well, I would have called, texted her, but you would have gotten angry. I said, what are you talking about? I said... I said the only time I was upset was because we made love and you were texting her after we made love and you're holding me and texting your ex wife and don't blame me. It got to a point where I realized he was actually trying to turn things around on me. And I remember, I remember one t- one instance where I said that, I don't remember what the instance was or why, B why are you trying to turn this around on me? It, it started to dawn on me in this different weird way because it was this intermittent reinforcement to the point where we were going to go to the Midwest for the summer. My kids were coming in. I'm flying them in from all over the country. And um, and he wanted to, he wound up paying for the whole thing, which I was kind of shocked because I didn't ask him to pay for it. He paid for all of it. And like the trip out that he was like being very generous with my children. And they're like, you know, you don't have to pay for, for us. We're good. He's like, no, I want to do this. You just keep your money. He was using that tool in a different way than my ex-husband did. Because he wanted them to think he was a good guy. I look back on this now with clarity. It wasn't, he had a motive behind it. that. We got back from my birthday. He, we had a, I had a good birthday. I know a lot of narcissistic relationships. They don't have good birthdays or have, you know, gifts or things. I, I, I've experienced that with my former spouse. But with this particular person, he gave me this beautiful little diamond and sapphire heart necklace from Zales and, he took me out to dinner.
0: And after Marie's birthday, her one-year anniversary was coming up with her partner. And what happened here was that her partner decided that he wanted to just go out with his daughter on their anniversary instead.
1: And I'm, uh, I'm going to take her out to dinner tonight. And I said, what do you mean? Just her? Just your daughter? And he, he, I said, babe, it's our one-year anniversary. He's like, I'm just taking her. Is that okay with you? And, of course, I started crying. And I'm like, okay. I said, that's really weird. But I know we went out last night together, but you were totally distracted on your phone the whole time. Because he started using – he hid behind screens. He started using he, – because he works in IT, essentially – and in gaming, and he was using that as an excuse to game and using that as an excuse to be on his phone scrolling and trolling. And he's not really on social media, he's on it, but he doesn't post. He trolls. And and he's also very smart. He's smart as a as a coyote or a shark or, you know, but but so all of a sudden it was like um and then they went out they went out to dinner. I was just like shocked. I went off like to run an errand and called my girlfriend in tears again. And she's like, run girl, <laughs> run as fast and far away as you can. And um, I laughed, but it wasn't funny, of course. And, um, and then all of a sudden I got a phone call from him. He's like, oh, we're done with dinner. Uh, my daughter wants to know if you want to join us for the movie. I mean, it was just really messed up. And I was like, no, thank you. I'm just going to be home, chilling out, taking a bath or whatever. But from that moment on. What he started to do were these little, I call them mind fucks or mind yucks. And he was saying and doing these things that were so covert, but very targeted. Um, for instance, the work that I do personally, he all of a sudden one day goes, oh, babe, look, he's like, I want to show you this. And he pulls out his phone. And it was, I told him the story about my childhood friend basically saying saying to me that committed to me. This was in the, the week after he dissed me on our anniversary. Or, you know, and, and she's like, girl, he's not. He's already showing you. Just get out of there. And um, so he shows me his phone. He goes, oh, look at this. Is this your friend? And it was the same name as my friend that I grew up with. And I was like, no. Like an email to him from my, and I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, oh, that's right. Oh, I'll forward this to my business partner. Cause that's his, his area of expertise. What it was, was a woman emailing his company, asking if they would like to, you know, retain his services for this thing that I do. And it was almost like, ha ha, like I could, I could retain you. And also at that time, all of a sudden I wasn't getting clients. My own business started to tank. I was like in a fog. It was like, it was just like that i can't even explain it brandon but even he said to me um one of the things was um oh god i'm i'm starting to blank out from stress see what it's doing to
2: my brain that's what it does and then you can't even remember sorry Okay, take your time.
1: So I would say the last six to eight weeks of that relationship were horrific. And mindfuckery at its finest. And um, you know, at the same time he's holding my hand, telling me he loves me, telling me we're going baby, where are we gonna retire? I mean, like and then he's doing these really insidious, weird little things to me. Um Oh my God, there's so many of them. I can't even, I, I this is where I should have written down more. <laughs> but I couldn't get to this part because it's almost like I've, I've not blocked it out or disassociated maybe a little but, um, um, What really like at the end sent it was, I started to even think maybe he's narcissistic at, toward the very like last week. And he was changing patterns and all of a sudden Um, even not calling me, I had asked him because when we first, when he first went back to the office last summer, he stopped calling me or texting me at all during the day. And I was like, babe, you know, like, you know, babe, I know we're like, this is a transition with you going back to the office full time, but you know, and my ex-husband wouldn't leave me alone during the day. He would kept constantly calling. Where are you? What'd you do? Who'd you talk to? Did the mail come? Did the mail come? But this guy was ignoring me. And I was like, I really just, I don't want to bother you because you're running this company, but i really appreciate, you know, if you just like even text me or gave me a call during the day just to check in, you know? So he did start doing that, but I almost felt like he was resentful of it. And he definitely was resentful
2: of it because he's kind of stopped doing it toward the end. And um, there's so many
1: things that I want to share that I don't even right now, can't get them in my brain, but one of them is probably kind of the way that it truly ended and from my perspective, and that was, um, we went to a movie with his daughter and he I asked him at one point if he had ever been on medication and he told me, oh yeah, I had, I'm like, cause I asked him even at the beginning if he had, and he said, no. Then later on, I said, have you been on medication? And he said, oh yeah, I was. I'm like, but, but for what? He said, well, you know, for being impulsive. <laughs> so my, God, my therapist, our therapist is like, there's no such medication to help people with being impulsive. It's called addiction. It's called, you know, sex addiction. It's called whatever it is. And and I, I said to my girlfriend, like the last six weeks too, there were so many weird things that were happening that I almost was like, I feel like I want to go get one of those things and stick it on his car and see where he's going. You know that the relationship's over when you totally don't trust someone. He, and And I even said to him at one point, like we were talking about past relationships, and he said something to me, like, "Well, I guess babe, you had the rug pulled out from you more than once, and that's exactly what he wound up doing, so our all he do all these like weird little meetings with his daughter using his daughter, I feel as an excuse, and other things as an excuse um We went out to dinner. And then we went to go to the movies and we're standing in line at the movies. And I looked at his daughter. I'm like, Hey, sweetie, I said, when is your like theater thing for school coming up? Your performances. And she goes, Oh, they're next Wednesday, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Meanwhile, he had said to me within the last, like a few days before this, he had said, Oh, babe, uh, by the way, uh, my daughter's, um, therapy's uh, being moved to, Wednesdays and group is starting for her on Thursday. So I won't, I won't, I'll be with her for that. And I said, Oh, I said, what time? And he was just like, Oh, I don't know yet. I said, when you know, please let me know. Cause then maybe I'll like go to yoga or sound healing or do something for me. And he's, he then said, I was being passive aggressive by asking that question. I was being passive aggressive. I was, proje- he was projecting all of his on all of his stuff onto me and I didn't even realize it. And even in the blame stuff, when I said, why are you blaming me for this? Like, why are you trying to turn this around on me? It's because he was projecting all of his disorder, his shame, his total dysfunction onto me. And it was draining the hell out of me. And, And by those last six weeks, I was like, I really, truly, Brandon, was like a shell of a person. Because I was under a shark attack. That's what I was under. And I didn't realize it. But I remember saying to him, this is affecting my mental health. Like, he started stonewalling me. He wouldn't communicate he was like, you know, you're looping. I'm like, I'm not looping. I'm trying to have a communi- I'm trying to communicate.
0: How can what we what was, is, what is looping?
1: I have no, like, like repeating things. Okay. Because I was trying to resolve something that clearly wasn't being resolved because he was already out banging whoever he was or doing whatever he was and lying to me. And, um, and so when he told me about these therapy sessions that were coming up and then we're at the movie theater and I said, Oh, hey. I'm like, hey, sweetie, when is, your, when is your stuff? And she then said, oh, it's next Wednesday and Thursday. Exactly when he told, he lied to me. And I caught him in a lie. I like, literally caught him in the lie. And I was so shocked. I, I didn't know what to do. I kind of froze. I remember like I, st- I texted my girlfriend while we were standing in line. And he was watching me like a hawk. And we went into the theater and his daughter went to the bathroom. And I just turned and looked at him. And I said, babe, I said, why did you tell me this when, when your daughter just said that? I didn't accuse him. I just said, why did you tell me this when she said that? And he goes, are you accusing me of lying? I said, I'm not accusing you. i asking you a question. Well, she doesn't know her schedule. I mean, she's like 16 years old at this point, right? Like, she doesn't know her schedule. She doesn't know this. Like, and then one breath, the next minute, oh, she's the smartest, most this and that of anything. And she's incredibly intelligent, this girl. Very, very talented and intelligent. So I knew he was lying. So we got home and we were in bed and I said, I don't want to talk about this tonight while she's here. We can talk about it after she leaves, but I do want to say that I don't believe you. And I could feel this anger emanating from him. And the next morning he got up early. He never gets up early and he got breakfast for for us and his daughter. And when she left, I felt when she was leaving at four o'clock that afternoon, it was like he was shoving her out the door. So who knows what he was telling her on one side. But he came and sat down and he goes, you know, you're right, because we've been talking about taking some space, but not a break from the relationship and not ending the relationship, some space. Me, I would go back to my place because I kept my place, thank God. And the way we set it up, too, is I was paying for my place there, which we were calling our place, our other place, and he was paying for the place on the West Coast. And then I, like, paid for all the food and he paid for us, like, someone's going out to dinner. Like, we kind of split it that way. Um, yeah, so I, I, you know, called him out on that and then his daughter left the next day and we sat down on the couch and he goes, you're right. And he had this evil, cruel, sinister look on his face. And he was like, you're right. We need a break. And I was like, he goes, you're "You're right. We need a break, Marie. And I said, okay, fine. I said, so that's fine. And that's fine. But also I, I, this is where I'm starting to remember stuff. Two weeks prior to this, I actually packed half my car. I took some of my art because there was an incident where he, another incident. We didn't have an argument, but it was an incident. And it was, we were both upset. He left, went way up north. Who knows what he was really doing? But um, I, I packed, like, some art and covered my stuff with, like, yoga blankets in my car. And I didn't say anything to him. I thought about it, but I didn't. I figured if he maybe he would or wouldn't notice, but I really was, like, at a point of leaving at that point, two weeks prior. And so when he said this to me about the break, he's like, I don't want to break up. He said, I I don't want to not, I don't want to be with anybody else. We're going to still be in a relationship, but you're right. We need a break and you're going to take, get in your car and you're going to drive back. And so I was like kind of shocked because I looked at him and I said, I said, I thought about leaving two weeks ago and I put some stuff in my car, but I didn't leave. Because I'm very loyal and you're going through a lot and we're going through a lot right now, clearly. But you know, I, I don't believe he's like, Well you said you didn't believe me. I said I don't. I said, I don't know what's going on with you, but you like and um and I said, and if I get in my car and drive away, that changes things, completely changes things. It's one thing for you to put me on an airplane and we take a we take some space for a few weeks. But if I get in my car and drive away, that changes everything forever. As far as I'm concerned. And so He was actually, he'd had a bag packed. He had a backpack packed. and was going to go to a hotel and have me pack the rest of my car. And I said, why would you go to a hotel? Like he was just trying to escape, which I think, I feel like this is what he did with his ex-wife from the way he explained things to me about the end of their marriage. But I think she wanted him to leave now that I look back on it. Um, And again, I'm on, I'm on a lease with this guy. It's not like, you know, it's our house. I don't have to go anywhere. But the way that it felt, it felt like I was I wasn't safe. I wasn't safe emotionally. I, I certainly wasn't safe physically. There was a gun in the house. I don't I don't really know what he's capable of, right? And so I was upset and I started packing some other stuff into my car. And Said to him, I said, you know, you just you, you did exactly what you said other people have done to me. You're pulling the, ru- 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 the rug right out, out from under me. Um, at one point, he came up because I had poured myself a glass of whiskey. He came up. He's like, you don't need this. He puts it down. And he goes, baby. He goes, come into the bedroom with me. He's trying to seduce me and to bring me into the bedroom. And he's holding me. I'm hysterical. Like I'm crying. Like I'm just like, what is going on here? And and I kept saying to him, if you put me on an airplane. That's one thing, but if I'm leaving tomorrow, I'm not leaving tonight, but if I'm leaving tomorrow, it changes everything. And then he wants sex, and I i wouldn't. I, I couldn't. And I got up and went into the other room, and I'm continuing to finish up my stuff and, you know, packing stuff. And I, I said, if we do not um, continue this relationship, will you send the rest of my things back? And he said he would. He's like, but babe, I, I'm, I'm still in this. We're still in this. I'm like, how are we in this? <laughs> and then he goes, well, I was going to change my mind, but you said something that ticked me off. I was going to change my mind and put you on a plane. It's like he kept trying to turn things around on me, right? Um, and I, I know I'm leaving stuff out because I'm so like still rattled by the whole way that it went and looking back on other things that I keep thinking of as, as I'm sharing here that were so insidious. There's so much that no person, what I will say, should ever go through something like this. And I blame myself I wasn't the one that was doing it to me. However, however, I was ignoring the flags and I could have, I was ignoring my own intuition. I was a betrayal. It was like a self betrayal. So when there's betrayal, right. Of self, like how do you, Who's the, when any kind of betrayal and I was, he definitely betrayed me, but the first person I've got to reestablish trust with is within myself. And that's what I've been working on for the last six months. When I left there, Um, and drove 2400 miles I was like a maniac I was on pure adrenaline I didn't drive straight I stopped along the way and I even stopped in this meditation town I lived in into the arms of dear friends who've known me for a long time and um, when I finally got back to my place and sorted he wanted to talk when I got back and I told him when I was leaving I don't want to talk to you for at least a few weeks because if you're basically forcing me Telling me to get in my car and drive away. Basically banishing me from our home together. And I could have said no, but I was in such trauma. I didn't even realize it at that time. Does that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And in and, and disbelief and shock, like it was like, what is going on here? It was like a bad movie. It's like a nightmare.
0: So after you leave and you're now in two completely different states you agree to not talk to each other for a while to give yourselves some space, and that, that you needed space for um, yourself to kind of get your head together. And eventually, he, what he does here is he does a little bit of a Hoover attempt to to get back in touch with you.
1: Yeah, so his daughter's having these problems, and you know he some you know some serious problems, and he I was cared about her. And he wanted to talk and, or I, I was like, I'm, okay, I'm okay to talk. We can talk if you want to talk just because I felt bad. And so we're in a relationship. We're not, you know, but what was happening, we also had a ring on the house, you know, ring like the security ring. I wasn't even out the door three days and he was in a fancy shirt going on a date. I wasn't even out the door a week and he was screwing other women in our house. I could see he started to block some of the cameras, but I still could see the front door and I could see who was pulling in and out of the driveway. And and it was like, what's going? So so Thanksgiving came and went, and I waited, and I said to him, I sent him an email and said, I switched it to email. I said, could you please um, pack up those the rest of my clothes and and send them to me? And then I texted him and said, how come it went from all Baby, I love you and miss you and want to be with you and miss you and blah, 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 to radio silence. And his response 24 hours later, he waited almost actually 48 hours, was, well, you, you know, you, Marie, um, said we probably should, you know, not communicate too much during the break. So I knew and I said, I've talked to my therapist and I and on the 8th of December, I woke up early, very early, like four o'clock, five o'clock. I sent an email that said, I just want to let you know that I'm ending our relationship. um, And I feel that this is what I need to do right now. Um, I wanted to keep it short and not engage. I said, uh, You broke my trust in a thousand pieces. I will not be contacting you again. And signed my name and sent it. Um, Never heard from him again. And only recently, because I found out that his mother passed away um, through mutual association, shall we say, um, that I re-traumatized myself by going on the um, the link for the service. And she was a lovely lady, very sweet to me. Um, I watched the service. I went to go to watch it, and I thought, you know, it's quite possible he might have someone with him, but it'd be crazy if he did. I'm sure I figured all the kids would be there and whatnot. And there were all the kids. There were his siblings. And there he was, sitting behind everybody with some random woman, arm in arm, hand in hand. What I what I feel from this experience is that like other than some serious like trauma, I feel is like innocence lost in my soul. And my and my therapist said to me, What what's happened? in this relationship is it's, it became a soul rape, a soul violation because of the icon, the way that he went at me with the love bombing and I'm going to make you mine and baby make, make me yours. And, 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 and it's like constant reinforcement and fucked upness. It was, it was, it's mind boggling when I look back at it. And and the, the stonewalling was shocking too, you know?
0: So if you have any words of wisdom or advice for people going through the same thing, what would it be?
1: Yeah. Um, saw something that I would share and, and there's a couple things, but one is it's like, how do you explain what narcissism is? Unless you experience it, it's hard to explain it. I mean, obviously there's like lots of talk about it now and there's all these different places we can go to for help and support and advice but how do you explain it so someone can understand it i i saw this and i'm going to share this ask the people out there listening think about the adult person you love the most in the world doesn't matter if it's a parent a spouse or an adult child ask them to imagine how they'd feel if suddenly realized one day that this person never loved them back was only spending time with them not for personal gain with them for personal gain, and never cared in the slightest about them, ask them to imagine what would it be like to realize this person never really loved them and would throw them off a cliff if it benefited them and they never knew they would never be caught. They probably wouldn't be able to do it, but they probably wouldn't even be able to imagine what it's like because it 's it's absolutely unimaginable, and I feel like at in the end they would just want to break you because it 's like they're so disordered a narcissist just wants to break you down because they want They, they, When they love bomb you, they mirror you. They mirror all the light-filled, loving, wonderful aspects of a human being. They need that because it adds to their, it it, it makes them feel important. It makes them, it's like the mirroring is so bizarre. Even he mirrored like buying like Pablo Neruda books. He was buying like poetry books because he was seeing what was on my social media. I didn't even put that together until later. Like so many weird little things just to think, oh, we have all this in common. Oh, we look at life in the same way. It was because he was mirroring me. He was paying attention because he's really smart. I almost feel like maybe he's like a sociopath. Like I don't even know that, but it's kind of like i you know. Um, after yeah, like <laughs> I wrote this down after they devalued. After like he did, he devalued me for a long period of time, and then it's like a cat being bored, and they're playing it with a traumatized dead mouse, and they play with you back and forth. And then they all of a sudden have to bite the cat's head off, swing it around like it's a trophy, and then they drop it. And that was the brutal discard. That's what happened. And he was doing that for like six to eight weeks was the cat. The real true cat mouse was those six to eight weeks at the end. And um, and then what they do is like, they parade you around like I was like the loser. I'm sure that he's totally um, smeared me to anybody that was in that triangulation at the advice of my counselor said, he said, remove everybody in the family and anybody connected to him that you met through him from your social media and block him everywhere because you have to do that. And he said, it's hard because, you know, like you care about the kids or whatever, however your relationship is. But but if you don't do that, he'll try to come back because you're like a notch in his belt. And he's done this to other women and he's going to do it to other women. You're not the only one. You're not the first. You're not the last. And um, you know, they kinda like like he pounced on me at the beginning, chewed me up, and spit me out is what he did. And I love cats. <laughs> That's another thing I read, but um yeah. And 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 I'm starting to come out of the the brain fog. I'm starting to like I've been eating a lot, a lot of sourdough bread and butter. <laughs> and I do need to like do it, you know, get back on get back to the Pilates uh. Pilates reformer, but um, but I've also just been going inward and doing a lot of reading, a lot of self care, meditation. And I don't know, like Brandon, like I look at people are like, well, there's other people out there. I'm like, I don't even know that I want to think about that. Because I don't how how after this, how will I ever? It's not about trusting myself, how will I ever trust another human being to be that, that vulnerable again, as vulnerable as I was in that relationship. And I really was. And I'm very isolated.
0: And what everyone can't see, because I spoke to you not just today, but we spoke the other day as well, that you are this very bright light. And you have a great smile. And you shine. And, you know, when you're, what people can't see is when you're talking to me about this, how much pain you're in. and. How you you could you went through your first marriage, which was its own ordeal, but this one was much. First of all, it was shorter, but it was much more insidious to you as far as trusting human beings uh, again. And how do you do that? Because you were not. When it all comes down to it, you said something earlier, you were a placeholder, and you were maybe a stepping stone, or you were not really respected, so you were used. And it's different from your first marriage, from what this was. Your first marriage, you weren't used in that kind of sense, that you were going to be chewed up and and then spit out and it's a different sense of hurt and it's a different sense of abuse that you are just there for someone else's consumption for this period of time while they're looking for their next meal and it's a hard thing to deal with. It's a hard thing to process, and it's, it takes a while. It's a hard thing to heal from. And you're in, really, you're still in the beginning stages of everything. And everyone is giving you the biggest hug right now and, and thanking you for sharing your experience and, and being so vulnerable with everyone today. And we just really, from the bottom of our heart, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for letting me have the opportunity to share my stories.
0: Well, thank you, and just a reminder to everyone that we're about to play a recording, a follow-up part uh, with our former guest Penelope, a.k.a. Elizabeth Bailey, who will be a co-host with me on another show that we'll eventually be doing, And uh, but before we get to that with uh, her update on her life and what's gone on since her episode... Uh, if you want to be a guest on our episode like Marie was today, like Penelope was before, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page there's a button that says guest form. Press that button and it takes you to the guest form page. Read the instructions. Send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or just fill out our guest form and press the submit button. Also at our website, we have our very own safe social network. If you need extra support, Uh, Go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com, press the support group button. When you do that, uh, you can access our support group. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night, and every other Thursday afternoon. We have forum boards for you to chit chat on and get support from. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad free episodes. So please do join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. They're a great free resource. You can find uh, shelters on there. You can find free articles on there. Everything there is free. It's a wonderful organization. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And now here is my little update with Penelope, a.k.a. Elizabeth Bailey, and we discuss, or she discusses, uh, what is winning? And I thought it was a really interesting question.
2: What is winning? Winning is living a life of balance, filled with choices that serve the greater good of the macro and microcosms. Winning is being immersed in experiences that stretch us as we grow closer to divinity, to evolve our consciousness and the collective. I feel free in this moment. After weeks, months of feeling a pull to concede and a push to fight, worried I I would look stupid or greedy, I stand in the truth that those are lies. I am healing. I am calling my broken pieces back together. I am what I know I am, which I will no longer allow to be muddled with ego. Being so highly invested in what my abusive ex thinks of me is pointless, fruitless, ego-driven, fear-based. He will think that I'm one bad thing or another, Perhaps in his mind, I'll be the uncreative idiot he claims I am, or I'll be the greedy whore he also claims I am. He didn't respect me enough to treat me kindly before, or even to respect my basic need for trust and safety. So wishing for it now feels like the definition of insanity. There is no winning his approval. He will not validate my pain or my trauma or my reasons for standing up for myself now post-separation. So I think I'll stop asking, demanding, or hoping for that. Because actually, what he thinks doesn't matter. It's likely to morph into one version or or another depending on his brain state. It's none of my business, and it has no bearing on my happiness. What a relief. I can stop basing my worthiness on him. His stories, his word, his money, his past, his anything. Winning is being fulfilled from the inside out. Knowing I have space and presence for my people and for myself and turning my energy towards my desires rather than wasting them in a war where everyone loses, I win.
0: So what got you to write that? What was the catalyst of that?
2: I had been thinking about, I actually had a conversation with my son's dad. He dropped him off after, you know, for bedtime one night. and We were just chatting in the kitchen and I realized I was talking out loud to myself, but he was there and I just was like, what am I doing? And I just had this like, aha within myself that had been bubbling that had been that started a few weeks ago with a therapy appointment talking about the investment in what he thinks and how it's affecting me and how that is you know if he is winning who is losing and all of this winning and losing and that being in competition keeps me at his vibration it keeps me at his level it keeps me fighting and for what and so it just kind of came together for me in this moment last week where I was like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore because I have to figure out what serves me and my family the best. And this fight is not it. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah.
0: That answers my question. And well, the thing that was interesting for me you said winning, like what is winning? Mm-hmm. Um, it was an, that's an interesting word. You know, how people um, are seeing things as winning and, and maybe losing, and that might not be the right way to ever look at things.
2: I'm going to read you something that I wrote down in therapy that day that got this conversation going. Okay. So I wrote down... My being highly invested in his failure leads to disaster. I started thinking that if he fails, if he loses money in this divorce, if he, you know, because I already realized he's not going to learn a lesson. He's not going to be a better person, but he should pay for his crimes. You know, he should be punished for his bad behavior, but no one's holding him accountable for that. I'm the only one with a grievance right now. So I'm the crazy ex, his friends, his mother, the court, nobody's holding him accountable. So that's not winning. And so, um, my, my I'm healing and I don't need him to hurt for me to heal. So that feels like winning. And then staying in competition with him is something he wants because that's how he operates. And so anyway, that's kind of, um, that's more words.
0: Yeah. Cause continuously fighting gives them fuel. And if you don't, you notice- give, and, and if you don't give them fuel, fuel at all, then they have n- nothing to run on.
2: Right, and even that right there, like you know, you starve a narcissist, you ignore a bully, you know, like those things that you learn when you've had these experiences. It's the same. Which I'm literally in this moment realizing every time I send, I amend a petition, or send a schedule a hearing, or make another step that feels powerful for me in. This divorce process, it gave him something to fight against, which, oh, I very much am having an aha moment right now because it's the same reason I stopped responding to any message because no matter what I said, it was always another platform and opportunity for him to say something shitty back. But if I never gave anything, then there was never anything to respond to. And so every new step with the lawyers is just something for him to respond to. So yeah, so I just don't want to do that anymore.
0: Yeah, because... It doesn't seem like the right thing to do because it just seems counter, um, counter to what y- you think is good for you. But counter intuition is what you need, if that makes sense. I don't know if I used everything there correctly. But um, you know, just like in the pandemic, when they said where I'm from, I'm sure that happened to you, um, you're not allowed to go to any stores except the grocery store. Where in theory that seemed like a great idea, but now you're just letting everyone congregate together at one <laughs> place instead of spreading them right. out. Right, right. You know, yeah. Your, no. your your logic says this is the way for something to work because that makes sense. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm fighting for my rights, not realizing that fighting for your for your own self means you're giving that person the the fuel to fight back which then makes you worse for wear just doesn't it's just it's counterintuitive counterintuitive
2: yeah and no, you're <laughs> totally right it's like my winning actually means i need to take a step back but when we think about competition and wars and fighting you always your immediate visual is people going against each other toward each other rushing in when really in this case i think the best way to fight is to step back you know?
0: Yeah, but that we can go on this forever. Like what we're learning in society with a show like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette is someone is looking at I have to win something and not realizing, is this even good for me? Do I even like this person?
2: Ugh. <laughs> Stuff like that is
0: But those tough. are the but those are the lessons that we're learning.
2: Right, right, right. And yeah, exactly. And then, you know, just stopping like actually responding as a human or as humans, as society instead of reacting is getting us farther along because I could keep reacting to him, react, react, react. But that just pushes me deeper into conflict and competition. When if I take a beat and say, you know what, maybe if I just step back and let him feel like he's won him, like, that's fine. You can feel like you've won because at the end of the day, I am doing really well. And that's what matters.
0: So a big thank you right there to Penelope aka Elizabeth Bailey for giving us an update. A huge thank you to Marie for sharing her story today and just doing a really great job of uh, helping people feel validated and less alone. So a big thank you to both of you and that is it. So for myself and Marie, we hope... And Liz Bailey, we hope you have a good night.